God is good. Well, hey, why don't you stand to your feet? We honor the reading of God's Word. We have a theme verse. Our series that we're going to be in for, for a while is, is called Better Together. Everybody say, Better Together. I want to read this theme verse together. Let's bring it up on the screen. And uh, it's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. This really embodies exactly what, we, uh, what we're hoping to, to build the culture. And so I want you, can, you, can everybody read it? This is like your eye exam now. I want you to look at that and uh, let's all read it together. Are you ready for this? Here, let's, at the count of three, we'll start reading it. One, two, three. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Hallelujah. And our text for today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to, to open to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm taking a different Text every week as we're working through this. By the end of it, we'll have actually uh, preached through the entire book of Ephesians. But today is Valentine's Day, and I felt like we should do something dealing with marriage and family and relationships and love. Everybody say love. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 22. And you just follow along as I read it there. It says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word and present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that we should be holy and without blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Oh, that'd be a, that's a good message right there. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects or honors her husband. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it is light and it is life and it is instruction and correction when we need it. Lord, I just ask that your anointing, that your Holy Spirit would come even right now. I ask that an anointing would rest upon me, Lord, that I would preach your word with the authority of the Holy Spirit as I ought to, mighty God. And I ask that you would anoint every person within the sound of my voice. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that perceives what your Spirit is speaking today. Lord, I pray that any word 
that the enemy would try and bring in any confusion, any distraction, God. We just bind that right now in the name of Jesus, and we ask for liberty to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have my wife come in just a moment. She's going to help me preach through some of the points this morning, but I I wanted to share just a couple ideas as we build foundation on this. Now, you know today is Valentine's Day, right? I got, I was a little concerned. My, my kids, they're on online school right now, and so I get to overhear a lot of what they're teaching. And they did make a reference to St. Valentine, but I was, I was a little irritated when they began to say, now, you know, now the Greeks would teach that it's connected with this God, and, the, you know, and this group would say that it's connected with this God. And I'm, I'm listening to this as they're trying to connect them with the planets and you know, uh, uh, all of these Greek gods. And I'm just, I, I wanted to get on the live stream there on their class and correct their theology. I don't know if you've ever felt like that because I'm like, no. Did did you know Valentine was a real person? It wasn't a Greek god. They may have tried to attribute some characteristic to that real person, but he was a man of God. Valentine was actually an evangelist, which I I love, evangelist. Valentine was a, a gospel preacher in Rome. And this was in a time where Christianity had been outlawed. It was illegal to evangelize. It was illegal to provide support to known Christians. And it was, here, here's where Valentine became real popular is because it was illegal during this time to perform Christian weddings. And, you know, the Bible even talks about there would be a day, there would be times where they would forbid to give in marriage. And this was one of those times. Well, Valentine, he understood the value of covenant and the blessing of marriage. And so he began to hold secret weddings. And because of this crime, he was arrested. Now, what's amazing is that his jailer was an unbeliever. And he begins having a conversation with Valentine and pretty much puts him to a test. He says, my daughter, now this is the unbelieving jailer, my daughter is blind. If you pray for my daughter and your God is real and can heal her, I'm going to let you go. But if you pray and nothing happens and we're going to move forward with the trial and the penalty for the crime of evangelization and the weddings that he was performing was most likely death. So Valentine agrees to this and the jailer brings his daughter to him. And as the story goes, this is history now, he lays his hands on the jailer's daughter and instantly her blind eyes are opened. The jailer is amazed as he sees what happens and he says, what do I need to do? I know that your God is real now. And he says, you need to go home. You need to destroy all of your idols. You need to repent. You need to believe in Jesus and you need to be baptized. The jailer and his family did exactly that. Valentine was released And he continued to go forward, he continued to perform weddings, he continued to evangelize, and for this he was a second time arrested. While he's in prison over this period of time, he he ends up gaining an audience with the emperor, Emperor Claudius Gothicus. 
And Claudius actually took a liking to Valentine, enjoyed the conversation and the things that they would discuss. And so he would go often to him. And on one occasion, he says, listen, Valentine, if you will just renounce your Christian faith, I'll let you go. But Valentine, under deep conviction, actually turned and preached the gospel to the emperor. And commanded that he also needed to repent of his sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be baptized. Because of his bold stance, the emperor commanded that he be beaten with clubs and stoned to death. History records that he actually survived that the the beating and the stoning. And so they drug him outside of the city where they beheaded him. The date of this martyr's death was February 14th, year 269. Happy Valentine's Day. This was a saint of the Lord who so believed in evangelism, so believed that people needed to be right with God, and was even willing to suffer to bring people into the covenant of marriage. I think it's a wonderful story after because actually because it it really embodies some of the things that we celebrate today. I mean, what love is that that he was willing to lay down his life for Jesus? What love is it that he was willing to suffer even for people to enjoy the covenant of marriage? Isn't it amazing you hear stories like that and today we just kind of view marriage as, you know, whatever. Maybe I'll get around to doing that. What a blessing it is. What an honor it is to be in this wonderful covenant. Now, I I just want to give you some foundation on on this text here. We read Ephesians, and I know uh, there's there's some here that you may think, well, you know, marriage, I'm not married, and maybe I won't be married, and so you think this message isn't for me. But I I want to encourage you in something before I dig into this. And my wife is going to come, and she's going to talk some marriage stories with me. But this is a passage that is relevant for every born-again believer. Because you'll notice that in this passage, the, the Bible is making an illustration that the relationship between a husband and a wife is actually a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. In the very way that Jesus loves the church, even to the point of death, is the way that we ought to love one another. And I know there's a word in here about three times that it's like a cuss word in today's society. And it's the word submit. I know that makes some of you cringe, doesn't it? Everybody say submit. Okay, I didn't see everybody do it. I know. Everybody say submit. Now, you understand, most of you, if you're, if you're married in this place, when you exchanged your wedding vows, you probably said something like this. Marriage is a companionship which involves mutual submission. That's in, in my text that I do every wedding. Uh, commitment and responsibility. And then they go into the for better and worse and richer and poorer and sickness and in health. We commit to love, honor, trust, and serve. We make that commitment. And it actually comes from here in Ephesians. But I, I do want to point something out because this is relevant to everybody even before Ephesians talks about wives submitting to their husbands which let me throw in one thing here 
I want you to understand exactly where we as a church are coming from. I had somebody in our new members ask us, well, do you believe in women preachers? And do we believe? Absolutely we do. You'll notice that even Ephesians here, it says, wives submit to your own husbands. And so there is a position of leadership that I carry within the dynamic of mine and my wife's marriage, but it does not give me the right to go bossing around every woman that comes within the realm of our ministry or life. You understand. And we're going to talk about some of those roles uh, because there is, there's a real power in submission. But what you'll notice is even before Paul goes into talking about wives and husbands and how they relate to one another in this dynamic of, of, of submission, in verse 21 he says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Did you know there's an aspect or there are moments in life and ministry where we are all going to submit to one another in one area or another. For example, think about my brother Jonathan in the back. Did you know that he's built an incredible team? And as soon as our service is done, even before our service begins, he's got this team of guys who come in with this high-grade equipment, spraying down and sanitizing and doing all this. Kind of, I mean, for real, you could lick your chair and you'll be just fine. And the reason is is because Jonathan does the very same thing for his work. He's been trained in it. He's researched it. I don't know nothing about any of that stuff. But when Jonathan comes to me and says, you know, Pastor, I think it would be an expression of love towards our people if we would do this before and after our service, I submit to his idea, even though I'm the head of this church. There's a mutual submission. I say, Jonathan, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's do it. Build the team. Let's move forward on it. There's moments like that for all of us, even within a marriage. There's, there's moments my wife has a brilliant idea, and I submit to, I, I, I yield to what her idea is when I feel, yeah, that's, that's right. Sometimes I don't even feel that it's right, but I know that it is, and I will listen to that. And I just, let me give you one thought on submission, and then I'm going to move into how mutual submission works. I am, this year, I've got about two months, and I'm going to be 35. Hallelujah. And I had an eye-opening moment. Uh, I know I'm not, you know, some of you looking, wow, you're still so young. And others are looking, and you see my thinning hair, and you're like, yep, yep, it's coming, Pastor. It's getting up there. And, uh, but it was wild because I was, I was sitting, and I was talking with, we got to connect with some of our friends from, uh, that we had done ministry with in the last season of our life. And, uh, and it was kind of wild because I'm sitting here talking to a pastor who's in his 60s. And pretty much, he got married a little bit later, started having kids later. Their kids are the same age as my kids. In his phase in ministry, got started in ministry later. He's in the same place in ministry that I am. And I'm looking at this, and he's like, he's talking to me. He's like, man, you realize that I'm in my 60s. And he just couldn't even believe it. And I'm like, uh, but, but what I've noticed is that people really tend to connect not so much over age, but where they are in their life. And what's wild is there's a, there's a reason why most of my friends and most of my peers are in their 40s and their 50s. You realize my wife and I took our se first senior pastor position when I was 21. She was 20. And uh, so we've been at this thing for a little while now. And you say, what kind of church would hire a 21-year-old to be their senior pastor? It was a church that couldn't get anybody else to come. That's the answer to that. But, uh, but it was a great, it was a learning experience. But can I tell you, 
Every opportunity my wife and I have had in ministry, because some of you look and, man, you guys have done a lot. And you've got, I mean, we could lay out. It would take me all day to share some of the things that we've done. I stand here telling you the reason my wife and I have done all the things that we have done is because of relationships and people we were submitted to. Some of you see how the power of God will move when we have these moments laying on hands and prophesying and, you know, releasing healing. I heard another testimony this last week. I didn't know until this last week. I prayed for a guy's shoulder instantly healed. And I just, I heard about that this last week. I never knew. Do you want to know how I learned to tap into the anointing like that? I submitted myself. Everybody say submit. I submitted myself to a man, his name was Steve Hill, who operated in the anointing. Steve Hill was in the place that he was because he had submitted himself to two men of God, one being David Wilkerson and the other Leonard Ravenhill. He had submitted himself to that. And there was an anointing that flows down. Now, you say, well, pastor, couldn't you have fasted and prayed and gone after God and, and received that same anointing? Maybe. But I'd probably be in my 50s or my 60s when I would see that thing come to maturity. Instead, I yield, I submit myself to somebody of great authority who God has blessed. And guess what? That anointing can now flow down. Even this mall that we sit in right now. Do you think that I have the millions of dollars that were spent to purchase this building and this property and to renovate everything that we've done? I don't got a dime, friend. The reason we're able to do this is because I'm submitted to a man of God named Dr. Morocco. And he's got resource. He has income. Hallelujah. And you and I, everybody within the realm of this ministry, we are receiving the benefits of submission. See, we look at this as if it's a, you know, a shackle to bind us or something that will hinder us. But I'm telling you, there is great power in submission. There is anointing in submission. And so what we look at is uh, uh, all of these. This, what, is it, what does it mean to have a mutual submission? And this is what it is. It, it means taking the divinely ordered place in a relationship. As I said a moment ago, it doesn't mean that women are second to men, but there is a leadership role within a marriage that the husband must accept and at the same, uh, in the same self-giving devotion that Christ has made to the church. And so we're going to talk about that a lot in our marriage upgrade on Friday night. But you'll notice uh, there's three things that I want to talk about this morning. In fact, my, my wife, I want, I want to welcome you right now. Would you come and join me up on stage? Because she's going to help me. I, I'm going to share the theology, right? And she's going to share the stories. And I think it's going to work out really well that way. So we brought our chairs. I feel so hipster <laughs> sitting on the chair. But um, do you have anything you want to say so far? Nope. Okay. All right. Not yet. Okay. Okay, I will say. Out of all of the 15 years of ministry, I have never sat by his side behind a pulpit to share. So the fact that I'm doing this, I'm so excited, but so nervous. So you guys just love me through it. Amen? I'll sing to you all day long, but you asked me to preach. No, I'm not going to do that. But I can share stories. Yes, but you're, she's amazing, and that's why I wanted her to share. 
because um, you'll notice there's three things that the Bible actually talks about here in this passage. And uh, how, how many of you, let me just express, we're going to be given marriage and relationship illustrations, but how many of you would like to, you, you say, how many of you say, I want to have a better marriage than what I have right now? Okay. All right. How many of you would say, I would love to relate to my children better than I relate right now? Okay. This, this fits. Now, here's something hopefully all of us can say, because you'll notice the illustration that the Bible gives is about the way Jesus relates to the church. And so there is an aspect that we can take this and say, we as the church can relate to one another better. How many of you would like to have a, a better relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who we, yeah, hopefully all of us, okay? Now, this applies to all of those things. And, and let me just, uh, you know, for anybody who's like ever like man power or whatever, uh, I just want to remind you in this illustration, everybody, men included, is a bride. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you recognize that? Jesus is the head. He's the bridegroom. And guess what, men? You're a bride. I don't know if we'll ever have to wear a dress on that wedding day, but uh, here comes the bride. So, yeah, it's going to be, anyway, you don't want to see that. So, we want to talk about, so I want you to understand. Now, you'll notice the first thing that it says in verse 25 is that as Christ loved the church, that just as Christ holy set apart a he wants to present her in verse a spot wrinkle or blemish you understand that's that should be our goal for one another that should be our goal in a marriage is is no my wife's not perfect and i'm not perfect but part of what we live for is to perfect one another you understand the church is not perfect but there are spot wrinkles and blemishes, but what Jesus is coming back for is a bride that does not have spot, wrinkle, or blemish. I get very upset, and I get very concerned when I hear people trashing the church. And the reason is, is because that is the bride of Christ. No, the church is not perfect. Yes, that church has problems. Of course, there's hypocrites in there. But you know what that is? Those are spots and wrinkles and blemishes. And we can be a part of the solution, or we can just run our mouth about it. And I'm telling you, you guys, I mean, try this sometime. You, you come to me, and you begin dogging on this woman of God. You begin saying, you know, well, she, uh, I'm not even going to try and give an example. I'll get in trouble. But if you start bad-mouthing her, I'm telling you, your words have the power of resurrection. What do you mean? You are going to meet the Jacob that died in 2004. Because I, that, that before Christ Jacob is going to come back to life, I'm going to drag you outside and I'm going to minister to you in the laying on of hands. For real, trash my wife. But that's how I feel with the church sometimes. Uh, it's just like, man, be a part of I, I had that moment where I saw all the hypocrisy and all of the, all of the junk in the house of God. I watched a pastor fall into adultery and it wounded me deeply. And I had a moment where I'm like, Jesus, I'm just going to love you. But I'm not going to be a part of this mess. And I felt the correction of the Lord. That's my bride. She's not perfect. Are you going to be a part of the solution or are you going to add to the problem? And I decided from that moment on, I'm not going to run away. 
I'm going to be a part of uh, fixing the problem. And so um, that was, a, that was a, a little bit of a tangent. But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow. That's self-sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. sacrifice. He said, if you seek your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, you will find it. Here is the beauty of mutual submission. Let me just tell you, and then I'm going to let my wife talk. My job as a Christian is not to seek my own self-fulfillment, but it's actually to crucify my self-fulfillment and live for the pleasure of God Almighty. Now, that's not easy. We live in a culture that says, no, you do you. Just follow your heart. Uh, you know, the, the, I could give you verses to counteract all of those things. No, we are to die to ourselves. In Jesus, what is the desire of your heart? But here's the beauty of mutual submission. It's not my job to make myself look wonderful. But within the dynamic of a godly marriage, godly parenting, even the way we relate to one another, did you realize that it's my job to make her look wonderful? It's not my job to build myself up. It's my job to build her up. And it's not her job to build herself up, but it's her job to build me up. And how many understand, I could brag about myself. And you might say, well, good for you, pastor. But when she brags on me, that holds some clout, doesn't it? It's received in a much higher level. Why? Because when somebody else talks about you... There's, there's a measure of truth in somebody who's just bragging on themselves. If you seek to elevate yourself, you're going to be brought low. But if you position yourself low, you're going to be brought high. Now, my point was about sacrifice. Leah, tell us about, tell us about sacrifice. I've been talking too much. Okay, so I'm just going to share a little bit about our story and how personally how I feel like I've sacrificed for the family, for our marriage, and for the call of God that's been placed upon our life. We pastored in central Illinois for about seven years. Um, it was a sweet season. I got to have our babies, um, got to learn how to do ministry. I was a stay-at-home mom. We lived in a parsonage. We were so blessed. We made like $20,000 a year. And that's really sarcastic. That's not very much, but God had provided. But it was a sweet season. I got to just love on our kids, and that's all I ever wanted. As a little girl, if you would ask Leah, what do you want to be when you grow up? I never said a doctor. I never said a nurse. Those things are all great. But what would come out of my mouth was, I just want to be a mommy and a wife to a godly man. That was it. And I had that in the first season of our marriage. It was amazing. I was living the dream. I had a brand new five-bedroom, four-bathroom home. It just didn't get better. Huge yard on acres. And then it came time for me to submit and to follow the call of God on our lives. Jacob came and said, it's time to transition. We're going to move into full-time evangelism. And to me, I was like, are you crazy? Like, life is good. What are you doing? It's time to switch. So, but we did. And we met, uh, we went to Dallas, Texas, and we went to Steve Hill's home. I don't know if you know who that is, but he was a revivalist. He was an evangelist. He led one of the greatest moves of God that ever took place in America um, at the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida. But he was our pastor. He married us. He was our mentor. He would scream at us and walk with us. But we went down, took a special trip down to his living room, and he was dying of cancer. He had battled it for years and years. So he could barely move, but he made 
I don't know, a couple hours, three hours, we sat there. And we laid before him. We feel like it's transition time. And he was so nice and sweet. But then there came a point where he looked me in the eyes and he screamed with his poor, sick little body. He said, Leah, listen to me. It's time of transition. And there's going to be a time where you have to work two and three jobs just to help your family survive. Remember, I've never worked. I worked before. I had several jobs in high school, but I'd never worked as a mommy. And it took my breath away. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. All I've ever wanted to was just to be home with my kids. You're going to take that from me. But I said, okay, Lord, I will. I'll do anything to follow your call and to follow my husband, Jacob. And we did that transition. We moved into full-time evangelism. We let go of all the luxurious things and the me staying home with my family and so blessed. And I got the job. I worked at a country club for years. I served others. I actually had the privilege of serving uh, George Bush Jr. That was pretty cool. But I worked. There were nights I would leave my one job and go to another job at midnight installing soap dispensers. I mean, I lived what he told me, and it, 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 it made me question sometimes, like, okay, God, is this really you because of how hard the times were? I've never shared this before, but there was a season where I was working so much, and you're probably like, Minister Leah, well, I'm in that now. I'm working the three jobs, and I salute you. I really do. And I'm thankful for that season. But I would work 12-hour shifts. I don't know if you guys have ever worked banquets before, but that's what I worked at the time. And I just broke out in this crazy foot thing where both of my feet were just covered in rash and blisters. And I would scream to God and to Jacob, and I'd say, this, this is what we transitioned out of? This is what you want me to submit to? I would scream, God, I thought you said, blessed are the feet of those who carry the gospel of Jesus, and my feet were not blessed. But God healed me. I got through that. But I just want to tell you guys, submit to the call. Don't do the same thing forever and ever. God has, what does he say, from glory to glory. And maybe you're in a season where I was years ago, and it's time for you to just submit. It ain't easy. It is not easy, but God will give you the strength and the endurance to get through. You will be blessed. Now look, look where we live. We're in Hawaii, and we're like so blessed, so crazy blessed. But I have to say, I have to add this part because I just like expo expose my gross feet, which I don't have gross feet anymore. I get pedicures regularly. Now, listen, to the point, it was so stinking hard. We had $20 a week for groceries. Have you guys ever been there? $20 a week for groceries. And it's just like, hey, wait, what, God, what, what, what? When I had that thing on my feet, we didn't have health insurance anymore. We laid that down to follow the call. So you know what we did with our two little babies? We loaded them up in the car. We knew we could go to the Salvation Army in downtown Dallas where the homeless would go. And I had to stand in line. And I'm like, God, where are you? But he was there. He was faithful. I mean, I had to take care of this grossness with samples of test tubes. You guys, have you guys ever been there? I just want to encourage you. If you're in the middle of that right now, keep your head up high. God will get you out. He did because it wasn't long after. I just, we went through a season of that for maybe a year or two. 
and worked full-time, couple jobs. And then he was asked to be on staff at one of the greatest churches in Dallas, Texas. And then it was all over again. We bought a new house. He got the Harley, you know, all those beautiful, luxurious, great things. But I want to just tell you, when it's time to submit, submit. God will get you through it. It only builds endurance. Amen? Did I, did I make the point right? You did great. Okay. You did great. That's sacrifice. sacrifice. And to be so sensitive. Oh, sacrifice. I'm you, talking about submitting. You said submitting. submit. That's okay, the same as same good. Thing, Praise same God. Thing. She sub we're submitting to the will of God. You know, here, here is a challenge. I just, I, don't, I just remembered this too. You guys doing okay? Okay, all right. Um, it's easy to listen to her. You guys all space out when I start talking, but I know she's fun to listen to. I even watch our viewers online. They like doubled as soon as she starts talking. That's fine. She's prettier than me. I accept it. Um, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I remember we, uh, so we, this was our life, you know, what she's describing to you. And I remember I was invited to teach a class at this church. It's one of the largest churches, I mean, in the, in the nation. And uh, so I did this evangelism class. I volunteered to do this. There were about 250 people just in my class, okay? It was on a Wednesday night. We were doing an evangelism class. We'd lead outreaches. And I was in a service. I was, I was ministering, and I'll never forget, a pastor comes up to me, and he says, all I hear God saying is for you to serve. Just serve, just serve, just serve. And I'll never forget the pastor of that church, this church that I'm now doing a class in on a volunteer basis, he comes to me and says, can I pay you to teach this class? I want to extend it. Can I pay you to do the class? And all I heard in that moment was serve in this. Serve, serve, serve. So I told him, no, I want to serve the church in this. We don't have a dime. $20 a week for groceries, homeless shelter for medical care. I say, no, I want to serve in this because I knew that I'd heard from God. That pastor was so inspired by the way I poured my heart and my soul into that for no pay, for nothing. That's when he came and said, I want to bring you on full-time staff. I like your heart. I like what you bring to this church. You guys, it ended up being that. That's who we were hanging out with this last week. We still have incredible relationship with those pastors, with, those, uh, with that ministry. It's so awesome. So that's sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. sacrifice. Now, we'll do this, this next one quick. But the Bible says uh, if we want to have better relationships, better marriage, better, better relationship with one another, we must learn to nourish. Everybody say nourish. nourish. In verse 29, it says no one hates their own flesh, but they nourish it as the Lord does. And, and so what this is talking about is nourish is to support growth towards maturity. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about nourishment, I immediately think about food. And you can tell when somebody takes care of their body by the things that they eat. I mean, you can look and you can see this is a person who takes care of their body and this is someone who doesn't. You can look at adults even. It's wild. We've got, my kids are just coming into the age where we're looking at um, braces and all this kind of stuff. And it's crazy. Our, the dentist can look in our children's mouth and they can tell things that went on with them in their infancy. 
by the way their teeth have developed. Some people, because they couldn't afford milk and the nourishment that comes from milk, have teeth issues today. And that'll never go away because you were not nourished. I was reading a story just a couple weeks ago about a family who tried to put their infant child on a vegan diet. Ends up killing the child. Child died. Because there's nourishment that a child needs, especially in those developmental years. Nourishment is very important. And, and so what does that look like within a relationship? What it looks like is I am going to give you what you need in order to succeed. Yes. That's how we need to live our lives towards one another. That's how the Lord operates with us. But it's how we ought to operate within a marriage. My wife, if, I, if she has a desire in her heart, I don't care what it is. Some little craft thing. Or she likes to bake, right? And so, I, man, when my wife decided she wanted to start baking, I want to nourish that. I want to make sure she has everything she needs to do the best job that she can. And so I bought her the, what, what's the mixer thing? The KitchenAid, there's only one for real cooks, right? The KitchenAid, and I got her the nice pans, and, uh, you know, our, our, we've always got all the mixes and frostings and all that kind of stuff. You know what that is? That's nourishing. I'm nourishing what is in her heart to do. You should see some of the cakes that she's made. They're incredible. But, um, Leah, tell us about nourishing. Nourishing. Okay. You guys ready for another story? Yes. This is about my little buddy, Gabriel James. Mama's sweet baby boy right there. He, Gabriel, has loved hockey all of his little life, okay? We were from Illinois, and then we go to Texas. He played on the little rookies, Dallas Stars, and so it's just been in him. And for Gabriel to play hockey, I was just actually talking to Tim and Tasha before the service today about his desire and his passion for hockey. We couldn't throw him out there because in Kona, it's, a, it's roller hockey, right? It's on the cement. It's not ice. Sorry, bud, but that's what he's just going to have to have for now. We can't just throw him out there on the roller rink with no skates, no stick, no helmet, no puck, right? What do we got to do? We went to Texas this last week because we heard, thanks, Miriam, Mariana, thank you. They just started roller hockey in Kona again. Gabriel's so happy. And so when we went to Texas this last week, we went to this store called Play It Again. This is like a used and new sports equipment store. So we loaded Gabriel up with all of the equipment that he needs to flourish and to be nurtured in hockey, okay? So get ready. You guys ready for this? He's going to play and he's going to learn. Can you imagine a Hawaii kid in the NHL in years to come? Come on now. So anyway, there's my story for how we need the right equipment. We need the right nourishment to function in life, to do what we love, to do what we need to do. And so that for Gabriel. And then we've got Mariah. She's our little entrepreneur. She's 12 years old. Mariah always comes up with new business ideas. And it's kind of tricky because when you're a pastor, you can't sell to your congregation because then it's like you're a mooch, right? So I have to like be quiet about it. But Mariah, she wants to make these wall-hanging macrame yarn thingies. And she wants to build an Etsy account. So what do we do? We go buy her all the yarn, all the beads, collect all the driftwood. And I'm like, okay, Mariah, go for it. And then she has this new idea. I want to make sea glass earrings, and I want to sell it, Mama. So what do we do? We order the gold-plated earrings 
earrings and the sea glass and all this stuff. So we help provide for our kids who have just these desires so that they can um, flourish in those things. Yeah. That's what it is to, to nourish one another. You imagine what our church would look like if we actually, like, what's the dream in your heart? What do you need to see that come to pass? Imagine if we treated our kids like that. Imagine what it would be like if we, because the Bible is saying here, that's how a loving husband is to their wife. That's how Jesus is to the church. Is how we ought to be towards one another, that we Man, I, I live to see you succeed. In fact, I feel like that's what my role as a pastor is, is to equip you to do what God has called you to do. What Ephesians 4.11 is talking about. And let me give you the last one, and we'll, we'll close with this. Uh, better relationships. We need to learn to cherish. In verse 29, it says that uh, no one hates their own flesh, but they cherish it just as the Lord does. Now, cherish means to warmly care for, to attend to, and to bring another into their full potential. Now, it sounds kind of similar, but let me just, let me just make it real simple to you. What The difference between nourish and cherish is is nourish is really about providing substance. It's about giving you the tools you need in order to be successful in whatever's in your heart. Cherishing is more dealing with the emotions. It's dealing with the heart. It's dealing with love. It's dealing with mindsets, okay? And so you just imagine, here's a simple example. Uh, as you can see, we're filling up this space in the sanctuary. We're going to start two services soon. We'll announce that uh, in the next, next week or two. But we are nearly, uh, we're in the architectural process of developing a 7,000 square foot sanctuary. It's going to be on the backside of this building and it's going, to, it's going to be able to fit all of us. Hallelujah. And so what's going to be exciting about that is, uh, well, well, think about this. If I were to come to you, and I know we got some builders in the house, some who have construction businesses, but if I came to you and I said, here are the blueprints, here's the vision, I walk you through there and I explain to you what I, what I see happening in that sanctuary, but I don't give you the tools, I don't give you money for the supplies that we need. I don't give you any man, manpower to back you up, but you've got the plan. You've got the instructions. How far do you think you're going to get in building our sanctuary for us? Not at all. On the other hand, you imagine if I gave you the tools and I gave you the equipment and I gave you the finances and I gave you everything you need in the natural, but I didn't give you the plan. I didn't give you the blueprints. I didn't explain anything to you. I just say, you know, here's the tools. Get it done. Again, you're not going to accomplish anything. When we talk about cherishing and nourishing, nourishing is providing the tools that we need to do the job. I'm going to give you in the natural what you need to do what God has called you to do, that which is in your heart. Cherishing is providing the knowledge and the confidence and the encouragement that they need. You can do this. You're incredible. You're the best. No, you're really, this is your strength, man. You're right in your lane. No, go for it. You can, you can win in this. And this is where encouraging comes in. That's what it is to cherish. You're really, you're really strengthening somebody's heart in these things. And I, 
you know, my wife doesn't have a sh- story to share about this, but I, I just, I got to brag on her, you guys, because there have been moments, in fact, I was hearing one pastor this last week, and because of COVID, their church shut down. They didn't have the ability to go online or do any of that kind of stuff. And he had this kind of identity crisis where it's like, if I'm not a pastor, who am I? And the thing is, I went through that a number of years ago when we were in that transitional phase and trying to figure out what we're doing in life in ministry. I mean, you imagine, I had a, so my wife would work these two jobs and I would connect with ministries, connect with pastors. I was building the ministry during the day. And in the evening, we would both go and install soap dispensers in, in public schools. It was just a very flexible job we could have at the time, and we needed it for the income. And so you imagine, I'm not a pastor anymore. I'm not in ministry. I'm like an evangelist who's trying to get up and going. Most of what I'm doing are youth meetings, right? And I go in, and in the evenings, I'm going into public schools where I have high school janitors who are treating me like I'm the scum of the earth. I mean, they're talking down to me and they're bossing me around. And that was a real identity crisis moment. Like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not nothing. I am working for high school janitors. Who the heck am I? I mean, really, I had that moment. And I remember I was at a point where, honestly, I was about to give up. Just like, maybe we'll just go get real jobs. And then you can have income, and I'll get you medical insurance, and we'll do other. And I remember my wife championing me. I remember her stopping me and looking me in, these eye, in the eyes and saying, Jacob, you are so anointed. Jacob, you carry the fire of God. Not everybody has that. Jacob, think about who your spiritual father was. Think about what God has put in you. Think about what happened over here. And I remember this like little pep talk because there was a moment I couldn't see any of that in myself, but she was the one who built that in me. And I remember I took her encouragement, her cherishing of my heart into the prayer room. And I began to rehearse some of the things that I couldn't say over myself, but I could hear her declaring over me. And I'm telling you guys, it, it's what kept me going. And we have been that for one another over so many, so many different seasons. And I, it's the beauty of having mutual submission. I can't imagine what it'd be like to fall down in my faith, be ready to quit, be ready to give up, and not have somebody there to help pick me up. In so many moments over the years, I mean, I think about Jesus' encounter. We did a crusade, and there'd be a moment that she's ready to quit. But I'm like, no, we can do this. And then there'd be moments that she's re- that I'm ready to quit, and she's like, no, this is God. Let's keep on going. It's a beautiful thing. We're better together. We're better together. And I'm telling you, you may say, well, pastor, I'm not married. That's okay. That's okay. You've got brothers and sisters, and I'm t- there's a, you need to connect with people in the house, in the body of Christ, because we will champion one another. We will strengthen one another. There's people, you know what I love about our prophetic nights on Tuesdays? Is there's people that are going to speak into you things that you may not even recognize about yourself. They may prophesy, I see God showing me things about your life, and you've forgotten that that was a passion. You, you don't, you're not operating in that gift. And it's like, man, I've had everybody tell me that, but I don't feel like that. But it's the heart of God for you. 
And this is how I want to pray. In fact, I'm going to have Leah pray and just kind of seal this word before we end our time together. I know we're a little past our time, I think. I'm always encouraging people in our prophetic. Did you have anything else you wanted to share? Okay. I'm always encouraging people in our prophetic ministry. It's easy to recognize the faults and the, and the failures and the shortcomings of people. Anybody can say that. You can see someone who's bummed out and, oh, wow, they've, they're gripped by depression or whatever. But it really takes the heart of God. It really takes the gift of God to see the potential and to see the treasure and to see the gift on the inside of somebody. And what I want to encourage is some of you read that passage in Ephesians and you're like, well, I'm not going to submit to my husband because he doesn't lead our house in prayer. Or some husbands are saying, I'm not going to love my wife because she disrespects me all the time. Or she's, she doesn't do this like I see other wives doing. Or, or he's lazy or, or, or she's whatever. You think, well, I'm not going to do what the Bible asks of me to do because they're not this. And what I want to encourage you is to, to begin to pray and to ask, and we're going to pray, I'm going to ask my wife to pray for this, that God would help us to see others, whether it's our spouse or our children or those that God has allowed us to run alongside, that he would allow us to see others through his eyes. Yeah. I want to see potential. I want to see the gift and call. My wife in that moment when I was defeated and ready to give up could have said, yeah, Jacob, we had it good in Illinois. You're the one who, who made us move. You're the reason that we're broke is a joke. You're the one that didn't. Yeah. It would have crushed me. But instead, she began to prophesy. Even if she didn't realize that what she was doing at the time, she began to encourage. She began to nourish and cherish me. And it's what allowed me to step into partially what I'm walking in today. We need to be that for one another. Would you stand to your feet all across this room? And Leah, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for us that God would help us to see others through his eyes. Amen? Amen. And however else you feel led, you pray whatever you want. Okay. But would you just lift your hands just as a sign of surrender. Father, we just come before you and... We just ask, Lord, that you would help us, first and foremost, to recognize that we truly are better when we have others alongside us, God. Yes. Whether we're married or in a relationship, maybe we're single, maybe we're, we're young and, and still in school and we don't have that closeness of marriage yet, but we have other brothers and sisters in Christ that can walk through this life with us. Lord, I just ask that you would reveal it to each and every one of our hearts right now, God. That we shouldn't do this life alone. We shouldn't be lonely. We should have joy unspeakable. Yes. Friendships, relationships. And God, I just ask this morning that you would give us your heart. With those that you have entrusted us with, whether it be our husband, wives, family, friends, that we would be sensitive to their hearts that we would be an encourager. Yes, There's life and death in the power of our tongues, God, and we, we realize that. 
So we just ask God in the hard moments, in the times where we need to just endure and keep running the course, that you, Holy Spirit, would anoint our lips with the right words to say. If we are to be quiet, let us be quiet. If we're to speak up and prophesy, let those words just come so smoothly and impact lives all around us. God, I thank you for every man, woman, and child today on this Valentine's Day. I ask that you would pour out your love over each and every one, God. Let them encounter you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, Lord. You know, I, I never want to end a service. I never go through a service without giving an opportunity. If you're here today and you're not confident that Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, one of the greatest acts of submission I, I could ever implore you to make is to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the blessing that flows down from that is the forgiveness of sin. It's the hope of eternal life with Him. God's got an abundant life for each and every one of us. But we have to receive it. With every head bowed, every, every eye closed all across this room right now, what I'm asking you to do is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And what I love about our Lord, we've been talking about it today, is His love is sacrificial. He was willing to lay down His life for us. This isn't a love that commands and demands and just waiting to, to smack you around and get you in line. No, this is, this is a love that's, that's calling us to fulfill a great call, a great purpose, a great destiny upon our lives. We might not even recognize it right now. But if you're here today and you say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Pastor, I've got sin in my life and I want to get it right today. I need forgiveness. I've done things that grieve the heart of God, but I want to be sure before I leave here today that I'm right with Him. If that be you, you say, I need, I need Jesus to forgive me. Just between me, you, and the Lord, would you just lift up your hand so I know exactly who I'm praying for today? Yeah, I see you. I see you back there. I see you. I see you. Other others, you say, include me in your prayer. I need forgiveness. I want to know. Let me just see your hand. Hallelujah. I see you there too. Hallelujah. Can we all, just as a sign of surrender, lift our hands to the Lord right now? And I want you to pray right out loud with me. Everybody pray, dear Jesus. I thank you, Lord. You came to this earth. You lived a sinless life. You died a sinner's death. A death that I deserved. You took it upon yourself. And you gave me what I don't deserve. Your grace. Your forgiveness. I ask you, wash me and cleanse me by your precious blood forgive me of my sin and make me brand new I give myself to you Lord I submit to you as Lord of my life I ask you be my Savior be my Lord my very best friend come live your life through me help me to live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, give God praise.